This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, January 13th, 2022, and my guest is is the awesome Avram Pilch of Tom's Hardware. Hi, Avram. How are you? Great. How are you? It's so wonderful to be on with you again. Yes, I'm really happy to have you on because we haven't talked PCs in a while on the show. I mean, at least not in detail. And uh, PCs are mobile and a bunch of stuff happened at CES, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, even though this was the lamest CES of all time, it's still there were still some things that happened at it that were very interesting. Exactly. So I want to talk about some of the things we didn't cover last week. I had Michael Fisher on last week, and we obviously covered CES mostly on the mobile side with a few things that stood out on the uh, you know kind of PC side. We talked about ASUS's cool 17-inch folding screen tablet laptop thingy. We talked about the crazy Lenovo laptop with a built-in tablet on the right-hand side. So we've covered those. But you know, there's a bunch of stuff we haven't covered. And I kind of want to get your your finger on the pulse there because you're kind of an expert at this stuff. But also, you know, the one thing that intrigued me was that new Dell, you know, XPS 13 Plus. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because it seems like a delayed reaction to Apple's Touch Bar, but, you know, Touch Bar is no more. So... What is Dell trying to do you here? What's your take on this weird laptop? Um, they're trying to to get yet another more premium segment of buyers that's like a slight step above the regular Dell XPS 13. So they have to find some way of saying, hey, we're, a, you know, this is a little bit more premium. We can charge a little bit more money for it. Right. And do you think they're going to succeed with this? Because there's a bunch of compromises here, right? Let's let's walk through this. This is a very thin and light, super sexy laptop, right? There's no doubt. Yeah. But to me, what stands out and could be good and bad, depending on how you look at it, is it's got no headphone jack. Well, you know, that was bound to happen, but really even Apple hasn't done that, which is interesting. Even on the MacBook Air, which is not their pro version, they still have headphone jack. So... The other thing is it has uh, the function role replaced with capacitive, basically buttons. It's weird because they're not reconfigurable. So it's not like a touch bar, but it's capacitive nonetheless. So I don't understand it. And then there's a trackpad, which is, maybe you can clarify how this trackpad works. It's like not, it's it's in the middle, right? But it it's, doesn't have an edge. So how do you know where you put your fingers? Uh, I think that will be a point of some of some confusion, right? I guess you'll have to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's form at the expense of function, which we see a lot. Uh, I mean, we saw this with Apple. We're seeing it now with Dell. <laughs> I, I I mean, would I get this laptop? I guess we'd have to check it out, but probably not. The, the headphone jack is not really that, for a me, not deal. that big a no. deal. It seems to be going away from a lot of things, and I personally prefer USB. Uh, using a USB headphone anyway, but you know, for the for the size and weight, you could get a laptop which has USB Type A ports, and that would allow you to plug in a USB microphone or USB headset, which is what you really want that audio jack for. Whereas right. otherwise, you're going to be living the dongle life and having to plug in 
everything into into a USB hub, which you know is is becoming very common these days. But I'd rather live without it. I mean, uh, for the same less weight, I can get a Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon that's two point four nine pounds. This is two point seven two pounds. So we're talking about actually lower weight, and I can get two USB Type A ports on it. Sure, it'll be a little bit thicker, but right. I mean, what for? To what end? What am I going to do with it being this? Like, what good does it do me? Is it not? Is it is a thicker one not going to fit in my laptop bag? No way. I mean, even right talking so, about so what's what's your take on their on this touch bar thing? It's not a touch bar because it's really. It's not a display that is sens touch sensitive like the touch bar used to be, but it's basically replacing the function row with some capacitive preset buttons. Why? Why bother with that? Like it's going to be a worse experience there's no matter no, how you cut it. There's no functional reason to do it. It it's just to like eliminating the borders around the touchpad or trackpad, whatever you want to call it, is it's form over function. Oh look, it's different. And we're talking about it, so they, they succeeded in that regard. Yeah, but why is Dell doing this? Like, it seems misplaced after Apple got called about a, a more sophisticated system, mind you, but that was pretty much, you know, vilified by most of the community. Um, and they dropped it even. To, for Apple, that's a kind of rare. And then Dell goes, comes out with this thing, which is in technically worse, but it's the it's kind of the worth of both worlds, right? Like it's like, it's not a display and it's capacitive. So you lose real buttons. It's just weird. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not. I mean, it looks like a terrible usability experience at the <laughs> same time. They probably are thinking, Hey, there's a whole bunch of users out there who don't use function keys in 2022. They never hit their function keys. They just use them as media keys. Cause look, the way that they've labeled it, they don't even have F1, F2, F3 on there. Right. So you would have to know, oh man, even the escape key is, even the escape key is not a real key. I'm looking at the picture now. See, this is why I put this in the notes, because I kind of wanted from a diehard computer guy, you, I wanted to know what your gut says. Like, is this where we're going with laptops for consumer no, use on no. the PC world? Or is this just Dell having a moment of brain lapse and they're going to come back to their reason sometime uh, soon it, it's an experiment we've seen experiments like this before i think lenovo did something weird with their function on a thinkpad a couple of years ago too everyone's everyone's experimenting with these things they will i bet that the next year they will come out if there's a, a generation two of this that it probably will go back to having regular keys but it really depends i mean as a usability experience, I wouldn't recommend this. Like, right. I mean, I'd have to try it to see how much it, it matters, but it, it would matter a lot to me because I'm constantly hitting my function keys. Now, for someone who's not uh, not using their function keys a lot, I don't know, maybe they just never rename anything or have to, have to hit F2. Maybe they never think about hitting F11 <laughs> to make something full screen in Windows. Maybe they don't think about those types of keyboard shortcuts. Right. They just yeah. click things or whatever. Then... Having then, if you think of these purely as media keys, like volume up and down and play and pause, well, you don't have to be able to, you don't need those for touch typing, right? It, yeah. It's only if you're a person who's hitting function keys a lot to use them as function keys. Now, I don't know. I feel like I hit escape quite a bit. But yeah, me too. 
But maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe maybe I don't hit escape as much as I think I do. There may be there may be a world in which there are a lot of people who don't have to hit those keys a lot and won't really notice. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I never owned a Mac with a touch bar, but I used the initial MacBook Pro that had the touch bar without the escape key. And I immediately notice how much I use the escape key. In fact, I immediately notice how much I use the function keys as well, even on a Mac. So it's, um, it's not a good thing. I, I don't think so. And, and uh, clearly Apple's gone back. First, they put the escape key back, kept the touch bar. And now they don't even have the touch bar. And I'm not against like innovation and trying new things and experimentation. I don't want Dell to think that. But there's some things you just don't mess with. And I think keys, keyboards and function keys and all that stuff is stuff that's just, you know, it's part of the fabric of the user experience. Unless the OS radically changes, like an iPad versus, um, you know, a PC, you don't really need to reinvent that stuff. Like reinvent thickness, thinness, power consumption, like do all the things Apple's done with the M1 chips. That is actually meaningful stuff that people benefit from, right? Now, on the flip side of this, of course, I doubt it's the same the same user or the same consumer, but there are keyboard aficionados who are buying 65% mechanical keyboards that don't have yeah. a function row. So they would be fine with it. They would be fine with this setup, but I doubt that they are the same person who would want to be typing on something this thin because the <laughs> key travel and the experience on those uh, yeah. key switches is probably not... Uh, fantastic maybe it's okay no. we'll have to see yeah it doesn't actually have uh, uh bezels around the keys the keys are all touch each other basically like it's like i don't know if you notice that on this yeah. xps it's it, uh it's like a netbook yeah that honestly doesn't bother me but i'm just like what bothers me is a lack of function row and the headphone jack i can live without the other thing that bothers me only because i haven't used it and i don't know what it feels like is this trackpad yeah. like I kind of thought originally when I saw it that the entire wrist area, you know, the place where you, yeah. you know, put your wrists when you're typing was an entire touchpad. I was like, that's really cool. And maybe they have palm rejections. And maybe when you reach for the trackpad or touchpad, when you touch, where you touch it is becomes the center. So you can touch it anywhere. That would be an interesting and then, concept. And then you kind of get a 16 by nine area defined by where you touched initially that becomes your area of work until you move away for a while and then it resets to the middle by default and then if you touch again it, it kind of picks that as your center point again i don't know like something clever like that with palm rejection would be really cool but that's not what they're doing it seems like they're arbitrarily picking a third of the middle to be the touchpad but you don't really know where it is and there's no way for you to know where it is, which is yeah. really strange. Yeah, it, it, that's just weird. This is going to go down in history with the nose cam as something that, you know, that was an, a unique experiment, but I don't think it's going to, to stand the test of time. However, your idea sounds pretty cool. What I would <laughs> want to see from that idea, though, is not to have it be uh, completely invisible like this, but have lights or something under under it. So when you touch it, it draws a box around where you touched or something. Or if you do what Apple does, where they have, you know, the clicking is not a real click, right? it's haptic, have some sort of haptic feedback where if you drag your finger, you can feel the edge. Uh. Like it goes, you know, it goes like in that one spot, you know where your edge is. And 
and that would be cool too. But anyway, I want to move on and talk yeah. about other things. The, the the does this laptop have the new Alder Lake 12th gen? No, this is much more. Uh, this is the Alder Lake is a much more powerful chip, correct? Uh, no, it's going to be Alder Lake. Okay, it, it's going to be Alder Lake. I mean, Alder Lake comes, and actually, it's going to be Alder Lake P. So that's going to be pretty good because Alder Lake P can operate it up to 28 watts. Uh, although they probably won't run it at the full 28 watts. But so walk us through the different Alder Lake chips, what they bring to the table for what kind of laptop, and more importantly, how do they compare to uh, Apple's new chips? So, well, Apple is, this is interesting. Alder Lake is really the first x86 that looks at, that has kind of the feel of an ARM chip in the sense that it has the big little concept where you have, some performance cores and some uh, some eco cores, which are right. low energy efficiency cores, which are low energy. And so what you're seeing now when you talk about core counts is you'll have a laptop that has like 14 cores. But what does that really mean? It has six performance cores and eight efficiency cores, or it has or they have ones that have 12, which are like four and eight. So what does that do for you? It means that more of the TDP, more of the power and heat envelope can be given to the task that you need done. So let's say you're playing a game, although on this type of laptop, I don't know if you're playing a game, but I don't know, <laughs> let's say you're you're compressing a video, you're doing something that is process, fairly processor intensive. And yeah. But at the same time, you also have other things running in the background that are not. Maybe it's you know, your email, your Dropbox, your notifications, whatever, not using a lot of, don't require a lot of power. So that type of load will be put onto the efficiency core, which uses less of those, you know, 20 or 28 watts. Or, right, no, that makes perfect sense. And so you can actually get better performance on the things that matter to you because of this division of labor. So right. that is what, Alder Lake is all about. Now, previously, all of these thin and light laptops, whether it was the Dell XPS 13 or the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon or the HP Spectre X360, all of them used Intel U-series processors, which only went up to 15 watts. They right. are still, I believe, going to offer those. But what we are seeing is more and more of the companies saying, we are going to offer the, the P-series which go up to 28 watts. Now, they probably will configure them to only go to less. It might be 20 watts or something, but they will go give it more wattage. More wattage means higher clock speeds, means more performance. So, yeah. so by doing this, because they're able to get it to run cooler, I think because of the division of labor, but also maybe better cooling solutions, they are now able to really get to higher clock speeds, and really concentrate the workload on what matters. I think with Apple's chips, you're also seeing that, uh, that there's a division of labor. Apple is obviously in great shape because they make the operating system. So Apple right. is going to make sure that the scheduler is going to work absolutely perfectly, meaning that macOS is going to know exactly what core to assign to what task. What the schedulers appear in our testing on at least desktop Alder Lake to work pretty well, but still, 
you know, I think it remains to be seen with lapped with the mobile version of Alder Lake. You know, are are the lesser lesser uh, tasks being assigned to the lesser cores so that we can free up that performance for the things that matter? And that's something that once we get in our first Alder Lake powered laptop, we'll absolutely look at. So, uh, but it's it's definitely uh, it's it's cool because you're getting more. Uh, you're getting more performance in the same type of system. 100%. So this is good news. Hopefully that we can start seeing some battery gains and some performance gains. That's, you know, both directions, right? Like if you want to be super efficient, you can be. If you need some heavy lifting, you can get it. So this is good news. I really hope they can deliver. I hope Windows, uh, you know, scheduler handles this properly. I mean, basically... I'm really, I'm really hoping we can see, you know, Windows PCs catch up with what Apple's been doing in terms of performance and battery life, uh, because it's the, it's the future. I mean, I'm on an M1 MacBook Air, and as my travel machine, and I'm dying to get myself on on some sort of ARM-based iMac. I'm on an Intel Core i5 iMac right now. Because my my little MacBook Air entry level model runs circles around my two year old iMac, like literally obliterates it, and this iMac is AC powered. It doesn't have any thermals or batteries to worry about. So it's crazy to me that you know I have a laptop that sips power that runs better than a two year old desktop. Now it's not a custom built, you know, gaming PC desktop, I'm sure that would do pretty well. But it's interesting. And so I want to see Intel compete and I'm happy to see that they're heading in that direction. Do you want to talk about the uh this crazy Samsung Odyssey Arc display? Oh yeah. Let's talk about that cuz I'm, you know, again, you know, you cover more desktop things than I do. This is not mobile, but hey, you know, sometimes we're at home and we want to use our <laughs> our mobile devices, maybe like a laptop on a on a nice display. So this is kind of crazy because it's the first curved display that has a optional landscape orientation, correct? Yes. I mean, obviously they all do because if you detach it and use a visa mount, you yeah, could of do course, yeah, you right. could do this, but you don't normally see it touted as a feature. And one thing to note about it is it is really really curved so yeah it's not like most gaming monitors you see have a curve of 1800 r the lower the r number the more curved it is but this has a thousand r so so it is really curved so (laughs) what i think and i i personally can't wait to to try this one out what i think it's doing is you've got something that is that is 55 inches right so if you were if it were flat you would have to do like look up really high to the ceiling to see the top of it. But if it's curved, that means you don't have to move your neck as much. So you can see more because of the curvature. So I think this is kind of cool. However, it's only 4K resolution. So now maybe that's okay because I say this and I'm talking to you, I'm looking at a 4K monitor that's 28 inches and no way can I view it at 100% scaling, I have to put it up to like 150 or 175 uh, or right. I get a headache. So, you know, maybe 4K is okay. But what they were demonstrating was having three windows stacked vertically. So 
what you know what would i do i would get two of them and put them next to each other and see if that is adequate to an adequate substitute for the four monitor setup i have right now but mm-hmm. it's uh i mean i'm i'm always in favor of multi monitor multitasking lots of things for lots of windows so i think it's a a cool idea I, this is more of a concept product though i mean i'm sure it'll come out but it'll be so expensive that i doubt many people will will get it and it will i mean it's really neat that they're showing it like this i don't know how many people are going to use it in that portrait mode and how useful it is but if they sent me right. one i would definitely try working on it for a while and see how much how it felt in terms of you know like how much am i looking up versus how you know how much do i have to crane my neck for this thing but <laughs> uh, it's it's a cool idea i mean i like this i like this idea i like this i this kind of innovation i'm always in favor of give me more screen real estate give me more ways to multitask yeah i feel like um personally that i want to want to buy three of them or four of them and put them in portrait next to each other and have this crazy you yeah, know like that's curved a... screen but curved the other way i know i don't think that would be very effective for gaming or video watching since it's obviously four lines or three lines to look at but for like setting up windows uh for writing stories like for vertical scrolling type stuff like twitter and stuff that would be yeah. really dope yeah, you could you know, probably view a whole lot of web pages and actually see content below the ads. Yeah, so that's the first thing that crossed my mind when they showed that you could use this thing, but you know, beyond the visa mount as a portrait thing, and they were making a fuss. Yeah, about it. I was like, I need four of those. Give me four of those. Yeah, you yeah, know? I think one would be inadequate. It would have to be at least two or three. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, I'm a big multi multi monitor user. I'm talking to you right now, and I have my setup here. I've got two monitors on the bottom and two on the top. So I, I, I like the idea of having multiple spaces for, for different windows and things. So the fact that they're, that they're encouraging you to kind of stack three windows like that. And then you you put three of them next to each other. Could you have like 12 active windows open, uh, and not get them on top of each other? Uh, I would, I would try it. So in case people don't know this there's a video version of this podcast available through patreon patreon.com slash tnkgrl that's patreon.com slash tankgirl like my handle on twitter so if you want to see abram well you can't see his screens because the camera is looking in the other direction but my point is that if you want to watch us on videos you should join the patreon and check it out because you get it in advance of the audio version and you get it mostly unedited there's like it's a little more raw, basically, more real. But I just want to point that out to people who are like wondering if they can get a video version. Yes, you can. Uh, the audio version is still free, will always be free, and will come out on on Saturday. So you'll get the video version a little ahead of time. Um, but the next thing I want to kind of like take poll you on, should we talk about TCL's next wear error wearable display or should we jump into, since we're talking monitors and displays, should we jump into that crazy air cleanse? Oh, uh, uh, I drum mean, filter monitor. I don't know which one. Let's pick one. Okay. Let's go with the air cleanse. Cause I know it a little bit better. So okay. had you heard of this before, by the way? Well, I saw it as part of the CS feed of stuff, right? Cause I wasn't there like, uh, yeah. so I just, I just saw it and I was just like, this is weird. So tell us what's the deal here. Yeah. So as a journalist, I always tell my, my people that I work with, we're in the business of interesting, not the business of good. So, <laughs> so just because something is like 
you know, is interesting to read about does not mean that we endorse its use or it sounds like it's necessarily a good idea. So I actually spent some time and I interviewed the people who run air air cleanse, which is the company that showed up at uh, CES. Actually, they were at showstoppers, one of the nighttime shows, and they showed off a prototype monitor with a built-in HEPA filter. And the idea is that they will put HEPA filters and fans into the bezel of a monitor and then it will catch your the germs that are coming out of your mouth and filter the air and spit them back out again. However, there's inherent there's inherently problems with this. First of all, the first ones are the obvious ones that you don't need to be a scientist to figure out, which is that you don't spend your entire day at the office staring straight forward. You might look to the side, you might look up, you might get up. So this is definitely not going to obviate the need for people to wear masks if they're, right. if they're worried about contagion. So the the other thing about this is they don't really, I mean, they had somebody do a computer simulation of whether or not it might work. And the simulation, they said, uh, worked out okay. But, uh, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. Now, they are not a monitor vendor. They are not making a monitor. What they would right. like is they would like to find a monitor vendor to license the idea of putting HEPA filters into a monitor. And, Interesting. Uh, and and then they will, you know, work with them to put them in. They do not manufacture anything. So, you know, it's it's an idea. They also want to come out with a laptop and want to work with someone to come out with a laptop dock that will have a HEPA filter been, built into it. Basically, they just want to push the idea of building HEPA filters into your, into the stuff on you your see, desk. I think that's not a bad idea per se, COVID or not, because, you know, it's nice to clean our offices yeah. and air and we all have air purifiers in our offices, uh, most of us. And it, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's just a nice thing to have, but I think they target the wrong device. This is ideal for all in ones because all in ones have fans already for cooling the CPU. So what you do is you put the HEPA filter in there and it's, you know, you run the fan, kind of constantly it cools the cpu it cleans the air at the same time and my, my only objections to this system altogether is that is you know it needs to be super quiet so that's why i'm thinking uh an application where it's in an all-in-one kind of computer or even on a desktop cooling system that if you keep the desktop on your desk then it's perfect because you're still running the fans for cool the cpu anyway Right. I mean, they'd have to, but it has to, I don't think CPU air goes through a, a HEPA filter on its no, way. No, but it would uh, in this case, like you just add it to it. Yeah. I mean, anything that pulls air in can have an iterative effect on the environment. So yes, as a small iterative effect on your environment, like putting a portable air filter, or a little air filter, uh, air purifier on your desk, you could build the air purifier into a monitor and all in one. I'm sure they really don't care which one it is. They're just looking for a partner to put it into something. So no, I get that. Uh, but I wouldn't, they are kind of touting it as something that could really save you from, from germs. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect this to yeah, prevent no. anybody from catching COVID at the office. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's the thing to keep in mind. I mean, it, yes, it might make the air a little bit more pure. If you, are having problems with, I don't know, indoor pollution, you know, just like having any portal, any air purifier would, and this would save you desk space because an air purifier takes up desk space. 
So in that respect, if you look at it that way, it's fine. But we have a, uh, also this week, this is just, you know, very much related news. Uh, did you hear about the controversy around the Razor Zephyr mask? I did not actually. I, I know I'm aware of the, the Zephyr mask. I know that there's a newer version that came out at CS. Tell me about this controversy. Actually, if I knew I was going to talk about this, I would reach under my reach in my drawer here where I have one. But uh, but anyway, the uh, Razor Zephyr mask is Razor's. Uh, for those who are not familiar, the Razor's reusable mask that has two fans in it, and it has three air filters in it, which right. it had originally advertised as being. I think the term was N95 grade, and right. they came under some pressure from. Uh, advocacy groups and i think the was it the fda or the ftc uh i think from the u.s government about that language and they actually took the language off of their website now because they never said hey this is going this is good for covid but the implication when you say something is n95 grade is that it is good for covid and so yeah that so in other words we have to be very when folks are considering devices whether it be a mask or an air purifier or a monitor with the air purifier built in that claim to clean the air if you if your real concern is trying to filter out germs such as covid-19 then you need to read the fine print because if something is not certified or laboratory tested or you know guaranteed yeah. guaranteed in some way to filter out those particles then you shouldn't assume that it will not everything can can actually clean the air and otherwise it's just an expensive toy i don't know too many people who would buy a hundred dollar or two hundred dollar mask to just to wear it for the heck of it they're they're going to wear it because they think it protects them from covid 100 percent. so one last thing about laptops computers and cs what is your general kind of like if you had to summarize and write a quick you know 500 word article on Tom's hardware about, you know, the, the trends you're seeing for particularly mobile computing from CS 2022, what would you be your takeaway? Well, we definitely just talked about 28 watt processors, uh, right. or, or them being set at 20 watts. So you're seeing, you're definitely seeing higher wattage processors, which means more, more performance. We saw that there is going, that there are going to be new mobile nvidia gpus so we expect some faster gaming notebooks this year we expect more amd powered notebooks this year particularly the mm -hmm. thinkpad z series is going to be pretty compelling there so i think more powerful processing this year uh some innovation or, or at least differentiation when you see things like the xps 13 plus whether that's a good innovation or or bad innovation will remain to be seen but uh, I think the big theme in mobile computing was make it a make it a bit faster. I don't think anyone has reinvented the wheel no. uh, this year. On the other hand, when you try to reinvent the wheel, sometimes you end up with a really bad wheel. So <laughs> maybe it's good to stick with what stick with what works and iterate on it. What do you think about form factors? You know, we're going to talk about the the more phone related news after this. And you'll see there's there's an interesting form factor uh, little phone we're going to talk about. And I'm wondering, what do you see the trends are on, on laptop, like not tablet per se, but maybe two-in-ones, but not per se just laptop and, you know, 
gaming laptop, all that. What are the trends you see going forward in terms of form factor? Do you see thinner, more powerful gaming laptops, or are we kind of reached the limit of what we can do here? Um, they are a little bit thinner. I mean, well, it depends, actually. I should say there are some thin ones, but we have not gotten to a point where you can realistically play games on something that is as thin as the XPS or even close to it. Right. You're still talking about probably at least 0.7 inches and at least three and a half or four pounds for uh, a low end, uh, low end, highly portable gaming laptop. The other thing that's really important here, though, in the gaming laptop world is you still can't realistically game unplugged like that to me would be the would be the real a real point of inflection when you get to the point where you could actually play for two or three hours unplugged. But right Right. now, even if you were willing to, say, live with horrible battery life, oh, man, I'm going to get 20 minutes of playing this game, but it's going to be a great 20 minutes unplugged. (laughs) You can't. You can't do it because the systems will not reach the same clock speeds. They will. They cannot deliver enough right. electricity from battery to do it. So, in short, we will see more powerful things are plugged in. But no, we have not seen a massive move toward thinner and lighter. I think the form factor experimentation. We're not seeing a lot of new form factor experimentation. I mean, you, we did see that secondary screen. That yeah, you, the Lenovo thing. On the ThinkBook, uh, the ThinkBook Plus, which is kind of neat, but I don't think that you know. I think for two and ones, for example, we're we're not really seeing a lot of new innovation there. It's mostly been back two and ones, and then you know when Microsoft comes out with a new a new Surface Pro, that will be you know that that's they're the they kind of yeah they're that kind space. of driving yeah they're they're beating the drum on this one, aren't they? Still. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, in the past, uh, we've seen foldables and things like that, but those are really niche products. I think, I think people have realized what works in the laptop space and the next inflection point will be, uh, when you can do gaming on something that is really portable, that is really, really light. Right. But I think we're still uh, years, years and years away from that. And I'm not even sure how you would get there. I guess you'd have to get down into like, you know, much, a much lower, you know, much denser process, like a five or three nanometer or something like that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm sure it's going to get there eventually. I mean, if you look at, you know, the Macs right now, the pros, the MacBook pros with the M1 Pro and Max chips, while they're not, you know, gaming machines, the performance in terms of heavy lifting, if you're doing video editing, for example, and stuff, is very, is very, very impressive. Both battery life and and the uh, how fast they can render video and stuff. So I think that there is certainly some things that could happen in that realm. Like games might be able to be optimized to run on chips that are designed you know, similarly to the M1 chips. And, you know, it'll take a while for that to happen. But if you look at mobile, you know, the game, the mobile games are gotten really, really impressive on phones and tablets. And at the same time, you know, they, they, they sometimes touch what you went, where I had on our laptops like five years ago, you know, in terms of performance. So I think it's eventually going to happen. And that's going to be a great day when you can carry around something that, as you said, you can play a game for two, three hours on on battery. And that doesn't overheat like crazy, right? Well, it'll be fun. The most interesting PC product uh, 
this year that could come out this year should come out this year was not shown at CS at all. And that is the valve steam deck. For so, sure. So that's an example of something that's supposed to play games, uh, but in a really light Nintendo switch, like form factor, but PC mm-hmm. games. Yep. And there's a lot of desire in the market for something like that. We've seen other companies tease it. So I think, it will be interesting to see how that performs and how games might be rewritten or optimized for for that system. Absolutely. Okay, so let's switch gears to some mobile news real quick. The um, Honor Magic 5 or Magic V, depending on who you want to talk to, is finally out. It's um, In case you didn't know this, Avram, there is going to be a plethora of folding phones out of China this year. It started with, uh, of course, uh, Samsung's not a Chinese company, but they've been driving this very heavily, and Huawei made some folding phones as well. We also saw a folding phone from Xiaomi last year. But uh, back in December, we got the um, Oppo Find N, which I have here, which is a small form factor uh, Galaxy Z Fold-like device. You know, it... it, uh, as a front display, and it's kind of a smaller version of the Z Fold, but bigger than the Z Flip, and it has a full-on display in the front. That's out, but this Honor Magic 5 is kind of the second coming, and this is the first with the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, which was announced at the Snapdragon Summit recently, right? So this is um, this is out. They've been teasing us about this thing for a while, and what's interesting about it is that it has a 90 hertz refresh rate, on the inside display. And, uh, you know, we've seen 120 on the inside display from Samsung, but ne- <laughs> we've seen the 60 in the past, but 90 is is an, kind of like a new one for an ins- inside display. Now, the outside display is 120, and, um, you know, that's basically all I have to say about this. It does have that weird spectral camera that we've seen on Huawei phones. So you know how Huawei and Honor separated themselves, Avram? I don't know if you follow the saga. Uh- not not so much, no. Well, so, you know, Honor used to be a sub-brand of Huawei, and they sold it. Huawei sold Honor to an independent, you know, group of people in China, and they're now their own brand, and they make their own phones. And they also, you know, they don't have the restrictions from the U.S. They can use the Snapdragon chips full-on with 5G, which they're using here, and they can use GMS, the Google mobile services that allow you to get all the googly goodness on your phone. So it's kind of exciting because, you know, it kind of is a whole bunch of technology from Huawei inherited by Honor making its appearance now on these phones. And so this uh, spectral camera, which is basically an infrared camera, is the third camera on this phone. And we first saw that on a Huawei phone a few months ago, uh, actually a few weeks ago. So it's interesting to see that even though the companies are separate, you know, a lot of the technologies that they're both using kind of stem from the same root. And we're start, starting to see that a little bit here. But anyway, it's it's coming. It's got Android 12, which is nice, you know, and it's got the usual trimmings, lots of storage and RAM. It's going to be about fifteen sixty-eight US dollars for the uh, two fifty-six gig version, and a little more. So it's it's competitively priced for a folding phone, but it looks very much like a ripoff of the Galaxy Z Fold three. And in terms of size and form factor, the inside display is seven point nine inches, which is really big. And so 
there you go. It exists now because we've been following the rumors of this thing for quite a while. So, I mean, do you do you like the folding phone experience? So it's interesting because I've always liked the flip. You know the the one where it folds into a little compact and you put it in your pocket. I really like that form factor, but I was never a big fan of the fold, the, the bigger one that turns into a tablet that is similar to this uh, Honor Magic 5. But then the Oppo came out that I just showed you on the video, and that's a shorter um, version of the fold in a way, and it's smaller and lighter, and it kind of cuts the the middle between the two form factors yet gives you the functionality of the bigger form factor in so far that you can actually use the front display. The front display, the form factor is the same as an iPhone 13 mini. So it's a pretty small form factor, but then you open it up into a tablet, which is almost square and is not huge, 7.1 inches. So it's Actually, what I find myself doing is using the front display for most things. And then if I want a little more real estate, I open it up. And you're going to say, well, that's what the Fold is about. But the Fold has a kind of a very narrow front display and it's hard to use and it's very tall. And then inside, it's really big. And you know how Android doesn't do very well with really big displays yeah. because it doesn't take advantage of it. So on the Oppo, you don't have this problem because it just scales the uh, phone apps a little bit. And then you actually just get more real estate without feeling like you're having to run a tablet. So it's kind of an interesting kind of middle ground. So I was against this fold form factor other than the flip version until I got this Oppo. So I don't think this Honor is for me because it's more like the Z Fold 3. But... I'm looking forward to other companies making folding phones in, from China that are more like this Oppo, which is a little smaller. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to try one. I don't do as much with phones as I used to, so I don't get a chance to test all of the new phones and all the foldables. Right. But to me, it seems like this is, as we were talking about the XPS 13 Plus before, a way where you can come up with a more premium thing. Hey, folks are used to paying $800, $900, for a, a standard phone that's not foldable. Hey, could we get them to spend a lot more if we made it foldable? But as far as usability goes, it just seems like a bulkier experience than I, I want for my phone. And if I'm paying for a lot for a phone, what I really want is I want the best quality camera because that is yeah. the one thing that is the one thing that really changes in the user experience from one generation of phone to another if 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 yeah. you get enough of a change because and that you know is what really matters to me because as a journalist I'm walking around taking pictures and as a parent eh. I'm taking pictures of my kids so yeah for sure so the 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 fo fo photography is the main feature that I'm looking for when I look for a new phone well, you shouldn't happy to know that Samsung solved this problem. The, the current the flip and fold are on par in terms of camera performance as what you'd expect from a flagship. Now, the flip, the smaller one that, you know, folds into our little compact, you know, doesn't have a full screen in the front and is lacking a telephoto, but it does have an ultra wide. And then the camera system is, is, you know, not the latest, but it's proven and it's solid. The fold that Samsung makes has a much higher end camera system, which is on par with the Galaxy S21. And the uh, this Magic here, this Magic 5 from Honor has, you know, some pretty serious camera chops. And, you know, basically three of the sensors are 50 megapixels. There's a main, an ultra wide, and 
a spectral sensor, as I said earlier, which is like, a, that's the gimmick. You don't really need that one. But it's interesting because I think that that used to be an argument, but that's no longer the case. And I think there's a lot of people, personally, I couldn't find a use case for that folding form factor, but I did find a use case with the flip form factor and the, in, you know, with, with Samsung. And I think some people, I mean, like Michael Fisher, who was on the show last week, he really loves the fold. And I know a lot of techie people who are using these folding phones because they want more screen real estate and they actually arrange your screen to multitask, like divided into two running apps simultaneously and all that stuff. For me, it's never really been necessary because I just flip between apps to be my main app on the front. Yeah. And for that, the flip works really well because it's a full-on normal-looking phone when it's unfolded, right? right? But the fold was a little bit overkill for me. And again, I changed my mind with this Oppo, which is kind of a tweener. And it actually fits my needs quite well. So I think that there is certainly a gimmick factor here and you pay for the luxury of it. But a lot of the compromises have been taken out. The, the Samsung phones are water resistant, have wireless charging. By the way, this Magic 5 does not have wireless charging. It's one of the things that's missing here. But, you know, they have all the, they have all the gimmicks and but also all the features. So you actually get a pretty complete package. So it's not as much of a compromise anymore. You just pay more. And the question is, do you need it? And I think that's something you answer by using them. I have used, you know, right now the three form factors. And frankly, I still prefer the smaller ones of the three. So, um, but let's see, you know, it's good to see more companies trying these out and putting their own flavor on them, even though I think uh, Honor here is kind of just copying Samsung more than anything else. But, you know, um, again, there's more folding phones coming from China this year, and chances are some of them are going to be unique form factors. So I think everybody's making phones with Samsung's folding displays right now. So because this is not, you know, Samsung has kind of the... <laughs> the uh what's it the edge as it were on this on on making the displays for everyone else so i think you know that doesn't mean that the hinges can't be different like in the case of the oppo the hinge is very different it folds completely flat whereas the z fold doesn't fold completely flat and has an edge it has like a little gap in it so i think you know this is where you're going to see the differentiation the sizes and the form factor and the way the folding works and is that enough to for people to go out there and buy one? I don't know. But I know that a lot of people have bought the Flip this year because, well, I should say last year, because the Flip is finally the same price, no compromises, and it folds as a normal Samsung flagship. So why why not, right? Like, yeah. you know, and I think as we go forward, I think we're going to see more of that. It's just going to be a matter of like, you know, do you want an SUV or do you want a sedan? Well, do you want a folding phone? Do you want the bar phone? I think it's going to be like that. And the cost is not necessarily going to be a big difference, which I think is exciting. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic that more form factors and more choices are better for consumers. You know? Makes basically. sense. Uh, quickly, a couple of news items. The OnePlus 10 Pro we talked about last week. It was, you know, multiple embargoes over the time of CES. It was going to be shown at CES, but it, they, didn't, they didn't because of COVID. We all know everything about it from last week. I just wanted to say that it's now officially available in China. And I think it's going on sale today. And so for the first time ever, a OnePlus flagship is available in China first. It's not a global launch. And I think they're doing this this year because of Chinese New Year. 
They're no gonna they're gonna sell a lot more before Chinese New Year. And it's also one of the first Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 phones, so it's you know kind of clout for them. Um but it's unusual because I don't know if you know this, Avram, but in the past, like a lot of Chinese phones are launched in China first and then released globally. But usually OnePlus isn't isn't in that boat. They just get their phones. We all get the phone worldwide, you know? Yeah. So it's the first time that they're doing this. And I just basically want to tell the audience that, you know, if you're in China or in Hong Kong, probably in Hong Kong, you'll be able to buy one uh, right now. Like, go to a store, go get it. <laughs> Similarly, Sony's Xperia 5 Mark III is also available in the US now. That's a $1,000 phone, which has that really trick telephoto lens. I don't know if you saw this, Avram, but the lens, the telephoto is like a periscope. Nothing unusual there. You know, there's a bunch of phones with that. But it has two different positions inside the periscope. So you have like a 3x zoom and a 4.4x zoom. And it's mechanically moving the lenses inside that periscope, which is the first time. That's cool. It's good to see uh, It's good to see a flagship Sony phone in the U.S. because we don't, I don't think we always get them. So yeah, we've we've been getting them, but usually with compromises. Like for the the, the previous gen, like they always make a, a a one and a five. The one is the big phone, and the five is the smaller version, and they're identical usually spec wise, just different size screens and batteries. And so this is the small one, which is now the big one was available a few months ago, but the, they always lack something. Like previously, last 2020, I think it was, they didn't have 5G. Even though the phones had 5G, they didn't work in the US on 5G, which was like really a boneheaded move. Yeah. And if you look at this phone, it doesn't have wireless charging, but its bigger screen brother does. And it's kind of weird. And also, you know, they're very niche product. They're very good phones. They have all the specs and all the features, but $1,000. Like, why would you buy this when you can go buy a Galaxy S21 on sale right now for $650. Yeah, you have to You know really, what I'm saying? You have to really like the Sony ecosystem. And I kind of like that. I like that they're just not pretending anymore to not be a niche player. They want to be a niche player. They're, in yeah. fact, pricing themselves and specking themselves to be niche. Because, you know, this thing has a partnership with Zeiss, has T-star coated lenses. Like, they're really trying to make this a... Like, if you're a fan of Sony cameras and you want a phone, this is your phone. And I like that. I think it's smart. You yeah, know? sure. Why not? I mean, that's that's how they're going to stand out in this marketplace. Exactly. I mean, you can't all be Samsung and Apple, right? Like, there's no way, you know? So speaking of Apple, I want to talk with you a little bit about this. It's the 15th anniversary of the iPhone this week. Well, technically, it was on the 9th of January. And... You know, I just kind of kind of hit me. I was like, "Wow, I remember that keynote." Were you there? No, I was not at. I was not at the keynote. I, I was not working for Laptop Mag yet, uh, and I never got to go to the Apple keynotes. Always my boss, my boss <laughs> did. But yeah, that was a really revolutionary thing. But at the time, I remember thinking, "Okay, but we have BlackBerry, and you know, we have." We've seen things like PDAs or whatever, and they they built it into the phone, and it's it's just <laughs> Apple Apple doing the same thing. But the fact that they were able to turn it into this ecosystem, I think what's really made iPhone a success wasn't the first gen version. It was when they started to introduce the App Store, and people and apps became a big deal because that created a whole ecosystem, and then Android came along and was doing yeah. the same thing. 
But before that, I don't recall app stores being a big deal. Well, there was one on Nokia. Nokia was innovated and created everything before everyone else. They had one. Uh, it was called the OV Storm. But the point is, you're right. I think like the reason I put this in here is not because you know I'm not an, app, an iPhone user, even though I do have an iPhone uh, for testing and I do my video recording on iPhones because they do better video. The bottom line is that it just struck me like I remember that keynote. It was incredible. It's still incredible today if you watch it. And you know I knew this was going to be a success from the day I saw it, but I didn't realize it was going to be this kind of a success. If I look back, the first five years were unprecedented. And I mean, since then, a lot of people are going to argue it's even more unprecedented, the growth of the iPhone. But I feel like it was an exponential growth in the first five years. Like, but, you know, by the time the iPhone 4 came out, which is only the fourth phone, they basically were already making their own chips. They were making, you know, they had already like made the phone that had, was a true competitor. The very first iPhone, you know, as, as Lance pointed out in this Tech Radar story, wasn't really a smartphone. It wasn't until the, as you said, App Store came in 2008, but that was a year later, right? Still, I could see the glimmer and it just blows my mind that here we are 15 years in and, you know, who would have thought that, I thought it was going to be a success, but I didn't think it was going to be that big of a success. It's crazy to me, still today. The ubiquitous use of smartphones is probably the biggest technological, everyday technological change in most people's lifetimes. Because you're like, if you were to tell me like 20 years ago or 25 years ago, hey, like you're going to have, you're going to have a device in your pocket that has like a high quality camera, lets you connect to the internet and watch video, uh, has all of these features to it. And it's going, oh, and it's also going to make phone calls. So, (laughs) so, I mean, I, I think there's a really good argument, but. Maybe the argument's been lost that we should stop calling them phones because well, make, true <laughs> because using them as a phone is the least uh, least important use of your of your of your handset. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. The bottom line is it's not just the iPhone, right? That I means Android added a whole bunch of stuff to the equation, and of course, you know, even Nokia and BlackBerry, as they were declining, and Palm did bring some stuff to the table. You know, it's not just all iPhone, but it's kind of incredible to look back and go like, "Wow, here we are now," right? And and how it's all started, and and it wasn't even it was basically a dumb phone with a capacitive touchscreen and some cool software, basically when it started, right? Like. Let's not kid ourselves. It could it did things that no other phone did in some ways, but it also lacked. Like it lacked MMS, it lacked video recording, it lacked 3G, it lacked GPS, which other phones had. Like you know, so it's interesting to to see that. Um, but um, speaking of old companies and old phones, the BlackBerry service for legacy phones was finally discontinued on. January 4th. And I kind of forgot that last week. And I just want to say RIP BlackBerry. If you have an old BlackBerry, you're SOL now. Hopefully you don't. But (laughs) (laughs) anybody who's listening here, I assume, probably still has one in a drawer somewhere. But if you are still using it, you weren't uh, after January 4th. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess we can pour uh, pour one out for, for BlackBerry. I mean, basically, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to mention it. And related to that, we've had rumors of Onward Mobility, the company who acquired the BlackBerry name from TCL, who made the last Android BlackBerries of the hardware keyboard, the, the key one, the key two. They bought that brand 
the branding BlackBerry for the phones onward mobility. And they promised us a BlackBerry phone with 5G. And it's been like a year and a half or so. And we all thought this was a done deal that they'd kind of folded and given up. But no, they issued a press release recently saying, no, we're still working on this. We'll give you a keyboard phone with 5G uh, that's in a BlackBerry form factor running Android. So those of you who are hardcore users, there you go. I would like that. I mean, I rather than going forward to the future where we have a where we have foldables, I would like to go back to the past where I have a hardware keyboard because I really miss having a hardware keyboard on my phone. But the most of the, if you can even get a hardware keyboard phone these days, you have to compromise on everything on, on everything else. Yeah, yeah uh, pretty much. Did you ever use the Key 1 and Key 2? The, the Key 2, particularly, which was the TCL-made BlackBerry Android phone a couple of years back, was a really great phone all around. I reviewed it for Geekspin, and I really liked it. And in fact, some folks, again, I'll bring up Michael Fisher here, who is the champion of weird form factor uh, adoption. He used it as his main phone for a while. So did you ever use that one? Because there was uh, very few compromises. I think I got to see it, but it, I didn't really get to spend any time with it. So... So no, but I know that like you're still not getting like the camera quality yeah, no. or, that no. you get. And for me, that's for me, that's the like the number one thing that I look for in a phone. So if if I get a more comfortable data entry experience with with keyboard, but I don't get as good a camera, I can't I can't see so you, that you need to carry two phones like we all do. Like one is an iPhone, and that way you get the best camera and the I mean you could be it could be a Samsung Galaxy for all I care, but you know you carry one phone for imaging and for some stuff, gaming, whatever, big video screen, and then you carry one for all your work stuff, and that would be your, your keyboard phone. So there you go, done. <laughs> yes, yeah, just uh, I'll just get some parachute pants to hold all the phones. <laughs> That's right. Or you can do what some people are doing with this Planet Computers Astro Slide Five G. I. I put in the notes for you, would this form factor appeal to you? This is essentially a yes. microscopic laptop. Yes, it would appeal to me. All right. Uh, so just to be clear, plant computers, this is their third or fourth phone now. They've been doing these for a while, but this is the first with 5G. Um, the form factor has always been the same where it basically looks like one of those Scion organizers. Remember those? You, yep. you were around for that. Yep. Okay. So the, the form factor is Scion organizer. In It closed. It's about the size of a phone like a big phone today. And this is a MediaTek Dimensity 800, which is not a bad chip. It's a mid-range chip, but it's pretty decent with 5G. And they, this version is called the Astro Slide, which is a funny name, 5G. But, you know, I don't think the camera on this is going to satisfy your needs. No more than the BlackBerry Key 2 did two years ago, Avram. But right. at the same time, this might actually be the one for you. This keyboard's probably way better than yeah, the Blackberries. It, it is, but you know what else? I have to think about how I use my phone, and a lot of times how I use my phone is in, like, I mean, there is an extent to which I use it for, for serious work, uh -huh. sending emails to people, and where I wish I had a keyboard because I make so many typos with a software keyboard. I'm still terrible at typing on a software keyboard. So that would be great. But a lot of times if I'm just kind of sitting around looking at it, like the bulk of having that extra, yeah. that extra thing flip out, uh, probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be so great. And these things look, I, I admit to me, these things look cooler than they are to use in real life. So I remember, for example, do you remember, um, ultra mobile PCs? Yeah. That, oh yeah. The UMPCs craze. I was there for that. So, 
I think I still have in a drawer somewhere this, uh, what is it called? The Villa M5, which yep. was a Windows laptop that was very similar form factor and, and keyboard size to the Astroslide. And, you know, I tried it for a while. Not only was it slow, but even though it had a keyboard that was about the same size as this one, it actually wasn't as great for typing as you might think. Because you can't really touch type on something that size, so you have to thumb type anyway. And right. if you get to a, a certain size, it's actually harder to thumb type because you have to reach across with your thumbs. 100%, yeah, yeah. So it's not as good. And then holding the whole thing up is a little bit unwieldy. So, <laughs> you I can mean, see that again, yeah. I mean, I think the best phone type experience I had was on my Motorola Droid, which was a slider. Yep, yep. I think that was the that was the best the pinnacle for you. The the pinnacle, um, having it in sort of a candy bar uh, shape like a like a BlackBerry would not be bad either. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of accept I'm just going to make typos all the time now. Yeah, for sure. So there's a few people I know who uh, have embraced this form factor, the the specific Planet Computers form factor that's been around for a while that they've been iterating on, and it's uh, sysadmins. So people who uh, need to manage servers remotely and need a Linux command line uh, or some sort of command line access from their remotely from their from their phone, they are the ones using this. They literally put it down on a desk and use it as a mini laptop to do like a few little things, the maintenance, you know, start the scripts, make sure everything's running properly, click, close it, and off you go. I, I would love that uh, personally, but I, I would wonder how small your hands have to be to actually type type <laughs> command line commands comfortably. Yeah, that's a challenge. I, I have big hands too. I don't know. I think, you know, again, I'm just love that this is a company like Sony, but very much different in the sense that Sony's huge. And these are just a bunch of small guys from the UK or wherever that, that is, this is making this niche product that they're not afraid that they've been iterating. It's not just the first one. It's not just a one-off. This company has been around and clearly selling enough of them to stay in business, to make the next version. That to me is what smartphones are all about. Yeah, sure. The mainstream, you know, the Toyota Corollas of smartphones, right? You know, the iPhones and the Samsungs, great. But, you know, we also want our Lamborghinis, right? Like our gaming phones. And we also want our, you know, weird form factors, you know, the folding phones. And then you have this thing. I'm just, I just feel so excited to see that there's still, in this day and age, where you think the candy bar would be the end-all be-all of phones, some weird stuff coming from small and big companies alike. Yeah, it's. I think that's really cool to see. I'd like it to have a pointing stick in the middle, so just like <laughs> right, my ThinkPad. Right. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Totally. Well, listen, we should wrap it up, but do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, Avram? All the social media handles, also where they can find Tom's Hardware? Sure. You can find our website at tomshardware.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at GeekInChief. And... Uh, Every Tuesday, if you go to the Tom's Hardware YouTube channel at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, I host a show called the uh, the Tom's Hardware Piecast, where we talk about only Raspberry Pi things. Awesome. And yeah, you're a big Raspberry Pi aficionado. I love the Raspberry Pi. It's uh, such a great platform. So yeah. 
Thanks for holding the torch on that. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, on Twitter and on Instagram. Think of the comic book character Tankerl. Drop all the vowels, and that's my handle. Twitter is where you want to talk to me and Avram about this show. Just comment, um, let us know what you think, ask us questions, whatever you have about this particular episode. Go to Twitter. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures of cars, since I review cars for Tech Radar. And then, of course, there's a couple of YouTube channels, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore, which have video content related to the podcast. Uh, the main channel, Mobile Tech Podcast, is all the unboxing videos and review videos and hands-ons with phones and direct peripherals like audio accessories, that kind of stuff. And then Mobile Tech More is where you'll find car tech, home automation, travel tech, like more peripheral stuff to mobile. And this is a new channel that my producer and I have been working on. So please subscribe to both channels. You know how YouTube works. Like the videos, comment, all that good stuff. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. That's the URL. There's an RSS feed there for those of you who like to type on your Linux terminals. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So you have no reason not to subscribe. If your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. That would really help for discovery. So I'd appreciate that. And then, of course, there's a Patreon. I mentioned that earlier. Patreon.com slash Tankerl. That's Patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. I want to thank my Patreon community. You guys are awesome. You know, it makes a big difference. This uh, show is a bit of a labor of love for me. So having folks help me out financially is a really wonderful thing. So I want to thank a few people here that joined this week. I want to thank JD, John F, and Thomas H, three new patrons this week. Much appreciated. Um, you're probably wondering what's the point of joining. Well, guess what? You get this video version that me and Avram talked about earlier, where you can get to see me hold up cool phones like that Xperia 5 Mark III that I have in my hands right now, which I'm reviewing, and um, other devices. But most importantly, you get to see get a bit of a more raw experience. I don't edit as much, and you kind of get it sooner. You'll probably get it tonight on Thursday. That's one of the tiers, but there's other tiers. There's cheaper tiers too if you want. There is a Discord server you can join. So look into this Patreon, check it out, see if you can help and support me. Any bit of help is appreciated. And of course, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since day one, and they are fantastic. We have a 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end, whether you stay or not. I think you'll stay. You'll see why in a second. But the URL is audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. If you're like me and you love to read, they have a ton of books, ton of selection. A lot of books are read by the authors. You get some short form content as well, some podcasts as well there if you want. The best part, though, is that, you know, I'm on my computer all day and my eyes get tired and I don't want to read in the evening on a book. I want to just put headphones on, earbuds and listen. And that's exactly what Audible provides. Somebody reads you a book and it's wonderful and you just lay back and relax. And if you're on a plane, it's the same thing. You don't have to like worry about, can I read this Kindle or book and because the lighting is poor because it's nighttime. Or you don't have to worry about if you're driving on a road trip and you're the driver. You know, you could basically get a book read to you. So check it out. And I want to thank Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And Avram, thanks again for being my guest. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Always happy to come on. 
Wonderful. Well, we'll definitely have you on at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another podcast next week, so stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.